0: to the Mainline Podcast. I'm Adam Jacquez, joined as always by Tyler Burton. Today we're talking about Zion Raggins, the new commit to the Sooners. We're talking about some of the other freshmen that are going to be true freshmen on the field this fall. Enormous on the expectations we have for them. And then we got a fun little true-false uh, set of questions that we're going to go through to wrap up the show. But uh, Tyler, how are you doing? I'm good, Adam's going to be a quick episode
1: tonight. Obviously Zion Raggins got things kicked off with the uh, recruiting week that's supposed to be big time for Oklahoma. We're just... Kind of feels like we've just reached the tip of the iceberg with what the next five to seven days could be for Oklahoma in this 2024 class. But, yeah, uh, things are good, man. Major championship week in golf, final major of the year, kicking off here in just a couple of days. I'm actually going to be traveling back down to Oklahoma to see some family uh, this upcoming weekend. So be good to
0: uh, be back in the 405, and things are good, though. Absolutely. And we always kind of lament as we're preparing for the show that most of the news in the week happens On Wednesdays and Thursdays, we usually record Tuesday night. And by then, it's all old news. But thanks to Zion Raggins for committing to Oklahoma earlier today. Kind of a no-drama recruitment there, it almost felt like, because over the last what two months or so feels like oh he's been the leader there not really a whole lot of drama he's a guy that's ranked in the top 250 by pretty much every recruiting service out there except for rivals so he's a guy that's that's pretty elite there's a lot of speed there he's a little bit of a smaller wide receiver so i'm sure that the marquise brown comparisons are going to be flowing from there but tyler what do you see from zion raggins what gets you excited about him committing to oklahoma for the 2024 class
1: Speed. That's the first thing that sticks out when you turn on this guy's tape, and I encourage all OU fans, if you haven't watched this kid's highlights tape, go on to Huddle right now, because this kid is an absolute burner. He was clocked at a 10.3 in the 100-meter dash, and and I believe he clocked a 4.23 laser time in the 40-yard dash, which is is elite NFL uh, combine-type speed. Um, so obviously you get a kid like Zion Raggins, you know, a little bit undersized, five foot nine, hundred sixty pounds, four-star wide receiver out of grade Georgia, a guy that's going to have the ability to take the top off the defense. And I think the biggest thing, Adam, when you look at this, and we've talked about it each, you know, over the last two to three episodes with Oklahoma, really, you know, starting to catch fire on the recruiting trail. This is a guy that coming out of the state of Georgia and, you know, much like we talk about with LSU, you know, in the state of Louisiana, they, they tend to do a really, really good job of keeping the in-state kids at home. Very, very similar case with the university of Georgia. And this was a guy that, that Emmett Jones kind of sought out from the very beginning, was able to go deep into the heart of Georgia, pull this kid out. You know, he committed Oklahoma over Florida state, over UGA, over Alabama, really, really good get by, uh, by Emmett Jones. So um, but, yeah, man, you, you just kind of look at what what he's done from a recruiting standpoint. And I'll let you touch on this, Adam. Um, he is, I think, the Emmett Jones. We knew that he was going to be able to um, have a huge impact, especially in the greater DFW area with his ties to the state of Texas. But what this guy's doing on a national level, arguably the hottest coach on the recruiting trail right now in college football. And uh, Emmett Jones is, uh, he strikes
0: again. Yeah, and outside of Dozy Ezukama, who's out of the Fort Worth area, who has a family connection through his older brother playing at Texas Tech, really haven't seen, I think, at least what Emmett Smith is going to directly impact uh, or the bigger impact that he's going to provide for OU from a DFW high school coaches network type of situation. Mm -hmm. There may be some other guys like Caden Durham, who's going to be committing on August 25th, for example. Uh, Guys out of Duncanville, Desoto, some of those other programs around in that area that maybe OU would like to have a bigger presence in, and they're doing Mm -hmm. so at other positions. And I think it's maybe hard to read how much of that is is for example. Um, Whereas some of these receivers are coming up, you know, from all over the state, all over the country, so on and so forth. And you love that he's hit the ground running, and he's basically he's. I mean, maybe there's a chance you get a sixth wide receiver in this class, but he's done. Everything possible to max everything out right now. He's looking great for 2025. He's brought mm-hmm. in some good transfers as well, so he's really helping to turn that receiver room around from something that really we're not really sure we're going to get out of that. We're going to talk mm-hmm. a little bit more about that in our true or false later in the episode. But yeah, uh, he's really helping put that position in a good spot going forward, despite the current situation.
1: Well, and it's amazing, Adam, when you kind of look at this from a thirty thousand foot you know point of view, looking at the big picture. I don't think that many Oklahoma fans, you know even in a best-case scenario, you would have thought that Emma Jones, who's been on campus for, what, seven months, if that, the fact that he's been able to come in, land five wide receivers already for the class of 2024, he's been able to bring in guys like Andre Anthony, like Brendan Thompson from the Transfer Portal. And, oh, by the way, he's also got a guy that's already in the board or that that's uh, you know already on board in the 2025 class. And the, I don't think that many people had Emma Jones having his – you know, wide receivers class. You know, five guys in the boat, and you know, pretty much finished up by the month of by the month of July. But you know, this guy, he once he figures out who he wants, he hones in on it, builds that relationship, and you know, ultimately gets the uh, gets the kid committed. But it's uh, it's a big thing, not just for the class of 2024 getting it wrapped up so early, but it also allows him now he can start to look ahead to 2025, 2026. And uh, if there's one thing that we've seen and some things going on behind the scenes. Uh, it's that uh, Oklahoma, I wouldn't expect it to last too much longer before you see another wide receiver in the class of 2025 decides that he wants to jump on board with Oklahoma as they head into the SEC in 2024 but one other uh, piece of uh, recruiting you know note here Adam obviously Taylor Tatum uh, the uh, number one running back in the country he's going to be making his decision between Oklahoma and USC this upcoming Friday and then also just kind of right before we came on the air here Brent Venables made the offer earlier today to 2024 quarterback Brendan Zerbrug if I uh, mispronounced that I apologize he is currently committed to Northwestern but obviously with the Everything kind of being up in the air right now with the uh, dumpster fire that is Northwestern football. Obviously, they fired Coach Pat Fitzgerald a week ago. Um, we knew, we've knew we known for quite some time that, obviously, Oklahoma's wanting to have a second uh, quarterback commit in this 2024 class. And, uh, you know, they made one offer last week to a kid out of the state of Florida, and they're reaching out to this kid uh, uh, that's currently committed to Northwestern. So Brent Venables, Jeff Lebby, they are wasting no time, and we'll see if Oklahoma can't make some headway with this kid.
0: Yeah, I like that we're still pursuing a second 2024 QB. I know there's been rumors about uh, a quarterback, I don't have the name in front of me, from Arizona that had decommitted from Ole Miss. So that's, you know, someone that Jeff Levy's, of course, going to like, probably already has somewhat of an existing relationship there. Um, but I like that they're going after a 2024 QB rather than saying, hey, we'll fill that particular role from the portal because... Nine times, maybe even more than nine times out of 10, those guys are in the portal because they're not getting playing time where they are. Quarterbacks aren't transferring to a new school to say, hey, let me be the backup. And if they are, it's a Davis Bevel type. So I I like the idea of, hey, let's shoot for a high ceiling type of guy or at least maybe someone that will say, hey, I'm not going to bail on OU, you know, after just fall Mm -hmm. camp or spring practice, I'm going to at least stick out my freshman year. And then you go from there, you know, uh, at that point. But I, I like the idea of getting two quarterbacks in there.
1: Sure. And I do think that, you know, Oklahoma fans need to kind of tamper their expectations, obviously, just because Oklahoma is shooting for having a second quarterback as a part of this 2024 class. You also have to look at it from, uh, you know, said recruits point of view where you already have Dylan Gabriel on campus. You know, he, you know, many people expect this to be his final season, in Oklahoma, but he does have one extra year of eligibility. Should he choose to come back in 2024? You've already got the five star, you know, heir to the throne. That is Jackson Arnold. Uh, Michael Hawkins is already committed in 2024 and then oh by the way you've got a future you know potential five star in Kevin Sperry who's now Carl Albert he's also committed in the class of 2025 so it takes a it takes a special almost kind of a certain individual to kind of make the decision that you know not only am I going to be you know one of four or five quarterbacks that are in that room um, but you know I want to be part of that Oklahoma program you know I see the vision and the culture that Brent Venables is building in Norman so you know I might choose to go uh, play a place like Oklahoma, maybe sit for a year or two instead of going maybe to a lesser tier program where I might have a better chance to play right away. But it's going to be a lot of fun to see. We'll see what Jeff Lebby and uh, this offensive staff can do uh, as we get a little bit closer to National Signing Day this this winter.
0: Well, let's talk a little bit about guys that are going to be on the field this fall, some freshmen that are coming in as true freshmen and some of the expectations that we might have for them. So I thought a cool way to go through this exercise and we'll kind of highlight the four main guys on this uh recruiting class that are going to have a bigger impact Mm -hmm. on the field and I thought the best way to go about that is let's go back in history a little bit let's take a look at some similar players at similar positions that also played a lot as freshmen and say hey are they going to do more or less than that type of player uh you know what is our our benchmark for hey how effective are they and so I think Mm -hmm. a good place to start would be with uh Jaquez Petaway we just talked about uh the wide receiver room and how there's a lot of opportunity there some guys that maybe didn't contribute last year or weren't even on the team last year, are going to have the opportunity to take a starting role, become a guy, uh, become someone that, you know, is, is going to be a major piece of this offense. So mm-hmm. with Jaquais Petaway, I thought the best comparison, and there's no comparison really at all to style of play or anything like that. It's just a production here. And I thought a good person to go back to was Marvin Mims, a guy that had a lot of success in his true freshman year in 2020 he had 610 yards as a as a freshman that year. He had nine to, uh, nine touchdown catches as well. For Petaway, you know, where, where do you see him sitting here? Do you think he's going to be doing more or less? What are you expecting out of him?
1: I think that the sky's the limit for this kid. I, I think that when you look at the production that Marvin Mims had back in 2020 as a freshman, the 610-yard mark for Jaquez Petaway to get to, that seems a lot more realistic for this upcoming season compared to nine touchdowns that Marvin scored three years ago. Um, but from everything that we've heard and, you know, we've heard a lot of really, really good things about JaQuest Petaway, you know, turning head since he's, you know, been on campus, you know, less than, you know, eight, eight weeks by now. But, yeah, uh, I think that it is entirely possible. I predicted it, you know, two months ago, Adam. I think that by OU Texas, Jaquez Petaway will be starting for this Oklahoma offense, if not sooner. Um, and So, yeah, 610 yards I think is highly doable, nine touchdowns that I don't know. I mean that was one of the really, you know, big things about Marvin Mims. You know, we saw all throughout his careers in Oklahoma Sooner, and especially during his freshman campaign, was the deep threat. You know, if Oak, or Marvin Mims was able to get behind those, you know, those safeties, you know, make the big plays, the long touchdowns, Jaquest Pedaway, who is You know, uh, by all the measurements, is a uh, bigger, stronger, faster athlete than Marvin Mims. We'll just see if he has the ability, especially this early on in his career, if he can have the same impact as Marvin Mims. But uh, yeah, I'm going to go. I'm going to say that the 6'10" mark is reachable. But I just, I don't know if I can see Jaquez Petaway reaching double-digit touchdowns in his freshman season at Oklahoma. If he does, then that spells nothing but good things for
0: Oklahoma as we're trying to forecast this upcoming season. Yeah. I don't see him reaching either of these benchmarks, not because I'm down on Petaway, um, but I know a lot of people are going to say, well, well, is not hasn't been a part of the program until this summer. He wasn't at spring uh, spring practices and so forth. And some right. people will say, well, neither was Marvin Mims. Spring practice was canceled in 2020. But none of the other receivers on that team had the opportunity to seize position in that spring practice as well. Whereas guys like maybe Jaden Gibson, Gavin Freeman, so on and so forth, they maybe have kind of held on to some of those roles or have a better understanding of what's going on at this point um you know you also had charleston rambo on that 2020 team that early on (laughs) was taking a lot of the attention away from a marvin mims for example so pedway not going to necessarily have that and i think there's just gonna be so many other guys that are gonna be a little bit more firmly entrenched i think there's going to be a really large rotation of guys that are going to have opportunities to catch the ball especially early on in the season Mm -hmm. and the competition's not that great so I think some guys will shine before we start getting to conference play and we start sorting out of oh that was just, you know, G five competition. Now we're playing some better teams. Maybe player X is not as good and we shorten the rotation. And I think Petaway will take some time to adjust to just college life, college football, so on and so forth. So I'll, I'll yeah. a bit less there.
1: I, I think something else to keep in mind, Adam, and Brent Venables touched on this a week ago at Big Twelve Media Days when he was talking about, you know, a season ago his his almost lack of willingness to want to play some of the younger more talented guys just because you know allowing them the opportunity to ease into college football they're afraid that you know they don't fully have the grasp of the playbook of all the concepts and the schemes but looking back at it he does kind of regret the fact that he didn't get some of those young guys into play and i don't think he's going to make that same mistake twice so i think that you're going to see Jaquest Petaway uh, you know if 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 he continues to build on everything that we've heard from so far this summer, if he has a good fall camp and, you know, he earns that trust of not just his coaches, but also from his quarterbacks as well in and Arnold and and, uh, um, and uh, Dylan Gabriel, then, yeah, I think it's highly possible that you're going to see a lot of requests ped away this upcoming fall.
0: Let's go to our number two guy here, which I think a lot of fans are super excited about, P.J. Adabawari. And I, the best comparison I have, we really haven't had a five-star defensive lineman at OU, especially a defensive end Oak. in years and years and decades and decades. So the best comparison I have would probably be Ronnie Perkins. In 2018, he had eight tackles for loss. He had five sacks. I thought it was a pretty impressive freshman campaign for Ronnie Perkins looking back on it. Mm-hmm. And I actually think that's a pretty good benchmark for for PG. I don't know necessarily that, um, you know, there. there's definitely going to be a rotation. There's mm-hmm. a lot of new guys in that room here, but... <laughs> Uh, you know, what do you what do you think about PJ? Is he gonna be a guy that can match or exceed what Ronnie Perkins did?
1: I think that it's it's very difficult to forecast that, Adam, obviously because of the the influx of talent, you know, not that not that we have returning, but also some of the guys that we brought in from the transfer portal, you know, and Brent Venables and Todd Bates and Miguel Chavis, you know, really seeing that position group, especially out on the edge as being a true weakness. Oklahoma had a really difficult time last year setting the edge, especially in the run game. So I think when you look at some of the guys on the depth chart right now that are going to be playing out on the perimeter of the defensive line, guys like guys like Rondell Bothroy, Trace Ford, R. Mason Thomas, Ethan Downs, is this going to be a situation where PJ, you know, plays sparingly, maybe in, a, in you know situational type football, or is he just simply? Too good, too freakish of an athlete to keep him off the field, especially in those obvious passing downs, second and long, third and long. So, you know, eight tackle or eight tackles for loss, five sacks, like we saw from uh, you know Ronnie Perkins in his freshman campaign. I actually think that that's a, I think that's a very, a, a very attainable goal for for PJ if he's able to you know put everything together you know so quickly as just a true freshman this upcoming season. So. I'm going to say that, uh, I'm going to say yes, that is attainable. I think that he
0: will um, achieve both of those numbers. I think he'll get close. I don't think he'll surpass that. And I think a lot of it does come down to how healthy is Trace Ford. How much is he playing? Is he, is he a situational guy or is he somebody that this team leans on? But I think you look at Rondell Bothroyd. I think you look at Trace Ford. Uh, I think you look at Ethan Downs. I think those are three guys that Brent Venables is going to trust considerably. Uh, to get the job done and soak up a lot of those snaps. And then I think our Mason Thomas, he's the guy that I'm probably the most high on from this defensive group. And simply because he looked different in the spring. He looked bigger. He looked twitchier. He looked faster than pretty much everybody else out there at that position. Mm -hmm. So, and he's going into his sophomore year. This is where a lot of guys show a lot of growth and and potential there. So uh, I just wonder how many snaps a guy like PJ is going to be able to get there. It's not a talent question. It's just how much... Is he going to be able to say, you know, be put on the field? How much is Brent going to trust him at this point? We'll, we'll find out. Yeah,
1: and and I mean, even though that they are playing the same position, you know, on the website right now, Trace Ford, they they've got him listed around two hundred fifty-seven pounds, and you know, PJ, they've got him listed right now at uh, about two forty-one. Obviously, we would expect him to be able to carry maybe two forty-five, even two fifty. Obviously, with you know, still two more months before season gets here, but. You know, PJ, he's just he's just kind of an anomaly. He's not something that you see every day, especially with the measurements. I mean, this is a kid, you know, six foot four. His arms, you know, his hands hang down, you know, damn near to his knees. So, you know, from from a a tackle standpoint, you know, trying to block an edge guy, you know, PJ, and you know, it's been talked about by all the recruiting sites, you know, by all the analysts, you know, all the you know people that have played the position at a high level from Oklahoma. This guy's got all the all the tools, all the intangibles in the world and it's just a matter of, you know, is the rotation going to allow him to do this and is he going to is the light going to be able to come on for him as a true freshman, you know, at a place like Oklahoma. But um, this the the schedule being as favorable as it is for Oklahoma, it's definitely going to bode well for guys like Petaway and PJ to be able to come in and uh, make an impact right away.
0: And I will say with PJ and we'll talk about another defender here in a moment, but The less that pj has to play that means the rest of the defense and the defensive end group is considerably better than last year so if it's if you don't see him on the field that's not a bad thing necessarily Mm -hmm. it could just be the other guys are are filling that void appropriately that you would like to see from your upperclassmen sure um let's flip sides over to the offense for a moment here let's talk jackson arnold now i know some people will say yeah he's gonna he should throw for three thousand yards and 30 touchdowns because he should be the starter but as of right now the expectation um, whether you agree with it or not, is that Dylan Gabriel is a starter. Dylan Gabriel, this is his team. He's not coming off that field. He's not going to relinquish that starting role unless he is injured. So let's look at that from that lens and that perspective. I thought about going with Kyler Murray in his backup year in 2017 as a comparison. I didn't think that was fair, though, because Kyler Murray at that point would have been in what his Fourth year of college. So I didn't think that sure. was fair. Let's look at Justin Fields, a little bit of curveball, guy that didn't play for OU, but was in a similar role. He was a five star quarterback, went to Georgia in 2018, played some spot duty here and there, had 328 yards, four touchdowns through the air, and then on the ground, 12 rushes for 42 yards and four touchdowns. Mm-hmm. So a guy that they brought in in that 2018 season to play a little bit of curveball, change up, whatever you want to call it. Do you think Jackson Arnold has a similar stat line to this?
1: Yes, I think he will have a very similar stat line, if not a more impressive stat line from a passing yardage standpoint. Um, I don't expect him to you know, have four rushing touchdowns this year, and obviously this is all predicated upon the fact that Dylan Gabriel stays healthy all season long. But I, one of the things that I do think um, that Oklahoma is going to be able to do, again, we, we always go back to the schedule. You open up with Arkansas State, SMU, Tulsa You know, being your first three games. I think that we're going to have an opportunity to see Jackson Arnold um, in at least two of those first three matchups. Obviously, if Oklahoma plays well and they take care of business, because I think that going into this season, obviously you didn't have the luxury of having a true trustworthy backup quarterback a year ago. You know that could uh, basically allow Jeff Levy to you know t- take the t- you know t- take the um, or again let me rephrase this give Dylan Gabriel the full you know access the the full reins to this playbook to truly do you know what Dylan Gabriel does so well. Jeff Lebby had to kind of pull back a little bit last year because he didn't trust that the second guy you know whether it was general Booney Davis Bevel would be able to go out there and execute this offense at a high level to give Oklahoma the ability to win football games but I think that going into this season, With Jackson Arnold, he's more. I think he's more talented. He's got the better arm than Dylan Gabriel, who, as good as he is, just doesn't have the same physical tools, the same type of ceiling uh, that Jackson Arnold does. And I think that you're going to see, you know, obviously Oklahoma plays well. I think you're going to see Jackson Arnold, you know, at least in two or three uh, of these opening games um, before we get to Cincinnati. And, you know, that's going to bode well for Oklahoma because once you get further into the season, then uh, you obviously want to have Jackson Arnold ready and confident and willing to go, obviously, if his number's called.
0: Yeah, I agree. And I would really like to see Jackson Arnold just thrown into the game on a random second quarter drive against Arkansas State. Mm -hmm. Um, I would love to see him in those types of situations rather than just, hey, we're up 56 to nothing. Go ahead and, you know, hand the ball off 30 times to end the game. I would like to see him actually have a little bit of pressure early on, especially against these teams that you're not super worried about uh, competition wise. Um, and and there should on, be plenty of blowouts throughout the rest of the schedule too. Like the, even yeah. in the Big Twelve, there should be there should yeah. be a game or two where you just you blow out Iowa State or you blow out Cincinnati or whoever. There should be opportunities for Jackson Arnold to put up some significant stats. I think he's one that hopefully, hmm. like last year, we didn't see Bevel do anything as a backup. He just handed the ball yeah. off, handed the ball off. Um, we saw General Booty came in against, I think it was TCU, and he handed <laughs> the ball off. Um, Nick Evers threw one pass was never allowed to, to see the field again. But I would like to see him actually have the opportunity to run the offense, even if it's you know high percentage, swing passes, screens, things like that that are not running up the score necessarily, but get him in rhythm and the passes.
1: On the flip side of that, though, Adam, if you're Brent Venables or Jeff Levy, do you really want to trot Jackson Arnold out there, you know, second game of the year against SMU? and he goes 7 of 8 for 115 yards and two <laughs> touchdowns because then moving forward anytime Dylan Gabriel throws an interception or makes a mistake then you're going to have a portion of the fan base particularly the student section at home that's the the Jackson Arnold you know ch- chants are automatically going to start happening and that thought's going to be in the back Oklahoma's minds like you know we've seen the small sample size from Jackson you know give us more uh, than what we've seen from you know just one or two performances so something to keep in mind as well um obviously we do not want a repeat of caleb williams
0: spencer rattler like we saw three seasons ago i think you do it anyway and just have confidence in dale gabriel because i think he's a sure. guy you can be confident in i mean the dude threw what was it four or six inter- interceptions all last year like it yeah wasn't it was, that many the guy the guy takes care of the ball like he's right. not going to get pulled for poor performance yeah he'll miss a throw here or there and everyone will groan and go oh we're off the field on third and ten But you know what? I think this year it won't matter as much because we won't be playing in nearly as many one possession games. So one critical throw like that just won't make as much difference. Sure. Let's jump back to the defensive side of the ball. Our final player that we're going to highlight tonight, Peyton Bowen, a guy that everyone's super pumped about. Uh, It looks like he may have the best opportunity at playing time outside of perhaps Petaway. But a guy that's been here in the spring. I think the best comparison here is Tony Jefferson. Again, not a style Mm -hmm. comparison whatsoever. It's just, hey, here's what Tony Jefferson did in his freshman year. 65 tackles, two sacks, two interceptions. Do you think something like that is realistic for Bowen to have in his first year in? the league? I think that it is, but but also at the same time, Adam, I think it's predicated
1: upon how much playing time, how, how big of a role is Peyton Bowen going to have in the back end of the secondary. Obviously, there's four guys that are on campus right now that have either you know, played a lot more college football like a Reggie Pearson who transferred in from Texas Tech or, you know, three guys that already have a year in the system under Brent Venables have already played multiple years of college football like a Billy Bowman, a Robert Spears Jennings, Key Lawrence, uh, you know, just to kind of round out the back half of that defense. I think that, you know, he's a five-star for a reason. There's a reason why so many, you know, programs were, you know, vying for this kid's services all the way up until the very last moment. Um, you know, with Oklahoma and Oregon and Alabama, so on and so forth. But I think that this is going to be a situation. um, The fact that, again, it goes back to the competitive depth. I think that Brent Venables and, you know, Ted Roof and, you know, uh, Brandon Hall are going to feel so much more comfortable about the guys that they've got in the room than the fact that they're going to be able to trust those guys to, you know, sub in for Billy Bowman on a series here and there. I think that you're going to see a lot more opportunities for a guy like Peyton Bowen to come in. I'm not sure he's going to make 65 tackles on the year like we saw from Tony Jefferson, but if you were telling me that over the course of a 13, 14-game season, Peyton Bowen, who has just freakishly good ball skills, he's going to pick off a couple of passes, yeah, I think that's highly possible, and I would expect that from 22 this fall.
0: I agree with you there. I think two interceptions or more is, is, is realistic there. Um, I think he could create some highlight plays. We just put out a big highlight video. It's linked in our show notes on the podcast. So check that out on YouTube. Some of the best well turnovers in Sooner history. Brent Venables liked the tweet. The tweet that we uh, about that? tweeted out that. Yeah, so you know it's good turnovers. You know it's good content. So if you haven't seen that video, click on that link at the uh, top of the show notes there. Um, but yeah, I think I think two or more interceptions, maybe some fumble recoveries, I think definitely are, are, are possible. I think more like 50 tackles is probably more realistic there. I'm a big fan of Reggie Pearson. I think he's... He's kind of got that heat-seeking uh, missile mentality coming downhill in the run game. So I think he'll uh, he'll turn some heads early in the season. But I think eventually he gives way and seeds a lot more playing time to Peyton Bowen as the season continues because as he figures sure. things out, you're not going to be able to keep that talent off the field. I'm trying to think, is there anyone else? A Key Lawrence is out there. I think he'll probably back up Billy Bowman. But is there anyone yeah. else maybe that I'm, I'm not remembering uh, that Mike takes snaps uh, away from Peyton Bowen? Uh,
1: I don't know. I mean, Robert Spears Jennings is one. Um, kind yeah. of feels like he's the yeah, guy that's always like forgotten about. Maybe
0: Jaden Rowe or something like that.
1: Jaden Rowe. I mean, Kendall Dolby's a guy. I know that you know they've kind of been working him primarily at corner right now. But obviously, as the season progresses, you know he's too good of an athlete to you know at least not try to get him as one of those five defensive backs uh, on the field. But yeah, I just I just think that you know obviously we got a small taste of it in the spring game. Uh, obviously, you know he picked off a pass from from Dylan Gabriel uh down the field. Yeah, I. I think that it's highly possible that Peyton Bowen's going to have an impact um, that many fans are um, going to make are going to be excited about this kid.
0: We went to Twitter and actually took a poll. Um, so those are kind of the four guys that we're going to highlight here. But we went to Twitter and we asked, hey, yeah. who do you think is going to be the most impactful player uh, right now? That poll Peyton Bowen's actually leading it with 41 percent of the vote. went to P.J. Adabari, and then 23% for Jaquez Petaway there. 3% said other, and we did get a few comments on some other people uh, as well there. Jordan Esco said Caden Green. I think that would be fantastic if he's taking a role on the interior offensive line. Uh, JP405 and Phil Lawson both said Josiah Wagner. We know that one of those cornerback positions is open. Gentry Williams, Kendall Dolby in the conversation there as well. Um, Sooner Shane said Macari Vickers. That's another corner. I mean, the guy is super highly rated. We could certainly see him. Uh, make a big impact this one I thought was the most interesting though uh, e James said Jackson Arnold because a quality backup uh, with star potential is something that we just lacked last year and I kind of I don't I don't know how e James was was positioning that maybe it was simply hey we have someone that can come in and actually run the offense if Dylan Gabriel is out for some reason uh, but I kind of took this more of in the terms of Jackson Arnold might see the field the least out of all the freshmen just because uh-huh. he's at that quarterback position but if that opens up the playbook significantly for Jeff Levy, or maybe it just pushes Dylan Gabriel to be better than he was last year, that Bingo. actually might have the biggest impact out of any of the guys. That he may see the field the least. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I think there's that. But overall, like uh, out of the four guys that we, we really went dived in on there or anybody else, who do you think has the biggest impact out of the group of freshmen?
1: I'm gonna die on this hill, Adam, until they prove me wrong. I think Jaquez Petaway
0: is gonna have a hell of a year for Oklahoma as a true freshman. I think that's bold, just because he is now getting to campus here in the summer. But yeah, the opportunity is is wide open there for we'll a freshman we'll wide just look at, to do well.
1: We'll just look at the wide receiver room, Adam. I mean, you've got Jalil Farouk. I mean, he's he's your bell cow. You know, many people expect him. That's your wide receiver one going into the, going into the season. Then your next most experienced, you know, statistically. Uh, you know, accomplished guy is Drake Stoops. And, you know, God loving, you know, I think Drake's going to have a hell of a year. He he ain't as good of an athlete as Jaquez Petaway. He's not as good of a playmaker, you know, when the, with the ball in his hands as Jaquez Petaway. You know, I, he's probably a lot more sure-handed, I think, just because, you know, Drake Stoops, he's a vacuum. He, he catches anything. But you start going down the rest of the, of the uh, wide receiver room, Adam. I mean, Andre Anthony, you know, many people are expecting a lot of things out of him. He really didn't do much at Michigan. You know, is he going to have more opportunities at Oklahoma? I think so. But then, you know, LV Bunkley, Shelton, uh, Brendan Thompson, the transfer from Texas, Jaden Gibson, you know, it's now or never. Nick Anderson, you know, he's healthy. Can he make an impact right now? Many people, you know, peg him as being an NFL-type talent if he can stay healthy and develop. But I just think that it's going to be a situation where Jaquez Petaway is going to have all the opportunity in the world to separate himself and, you know, eat into, you know, the first first one or two guys off the bench in the, in the rotation on offense.
0: I'm going to go Peyton Bowen just because I think the the floor is a little bit more established there, just him being in the spring, seeing him on the field in the spring game. I think the opportunity for playing time is great there, and I, I think he's just a great player. So a little more cautious, um, but I, I, I agree. I think Petaway could certainly make a big impact there. Sure. Let's talk a little bit about true-false. We've got a few different questions here that we're going to run through. Uh, we'll see, you know, they they might generate some interesting conversation here. So uh, basically, we'll just go through each of these real quick. But first up on the docket, Heartland College Sports, uh, an outlet that does a lot of Big 12 media. They came out today. They ranked all the defensive lines in the Big 12. They had OU number three uh, behind uh, behind Cincinnati and Texas, I believe, was, was yep. the top two. Or they had K-State might have been up there as well. Um, but they had OU third. Uh, and so... With the new additions in the portal and some of the weight gains that we've seen from some of these guys over the season, true or false, OU will have a top three defensive line in the Big 12 this year?
1: I'm going to say true, Adam. Um, I think that Heartland College Sports, when they evaluate this, I think that they're they're trying to base it statistically speaking off of run defense which i guess you know that's kind of you know where your bread's buttered as a defensive line how effective you can be um i think that they do have it right in terms of one two with cincinnati and texas i think cincinnati you know the best position group on that team is going to be their defensive line and arguably you know the best position group in the conference will be cincinnati the bearcats defensive line texas has a lot of uh you know really good players coming back obviously byron murphy uh to Von J. Sweat, the two guys right there in the middle of that Longhorn defense. And I, I think that it, you know, it kind of speaks volumes, Adam, to the fact that how big of a difference, how big of an impact it was with Todd Bates and Brent Venables going out there into the transfer portal. The fact that this was the statistically the worst defense in the Big 12 a year ago. They gave up over 210 rushing yards on average per game last season. You add Rondell Bothrod, you add Trace Ford, you add a guy like DeJon Terry from Tennessee to go along with the Jacob Lacey, uh, you know, in the uh, from Notre Dame. I think that we're gonna see, you know, I'm not saying that this is gonna be a top 20, top thirty defense, but I think that you're gonna see a pretty sizable difference from that front four that Oklahoma's gonna trot out there this upcoming fall. Uh, yeah, I think that uh, it's a very realistic chance that
0: Oklahoma has a top three defensive line this year. So I'm going to say true. I will agree with that. I think the Big 12 is, is down overall. And I think there's a lot of dudes on this roster still. Again, mm-hmm. not elite NFL potential type sure. guys at every, at every position, but enough guys that I think, you know, you're going to be able to outdo Iowa State. You're going to be able to outdo... Mm-hmm. Texas tech and so on and so forth. It's not a deep league. So Mm -hmm. I think just by, by nature of that, I think true there, let's go to number two here, Dylan Gabriel. He mentioned uh, at media days last week that he's not really concerned about uh, the unproven experience at receiver because there's a lot of depth there. So true or false. OU has two receivers over 600 yards and six touchdowns. Can
1: a receiver be a tight end in this question?
0: (laughs) You really think Austin Stogner has over
1: 600 yards? Potentially, if Dylan Gabriel can figure out how to make th- make, uh, make passes over the middle, I think that that's a you know a really big opportunity there. Um, if we're eliminating the tight end position from this conversation, uh, I'm going to go false here. Uh, I think that we definitely do have at least one. I think Jalil Farouk will you know go well above that 650 mark, but then I think you know moving past that, Adam, once you start you know diving a little bit deeper into that room, I think it's going to be you know pr- uh, production by uh, you know by collection or I think you're going to see a lot of different guys that are going to make, you know, their fair share of plays. Um, it may not be consistently, but I think that, you know, looking back, um, you know, after the after this season comes to an end, I think that you might see, okay, well, this was the Andre L. Anthony game. This was the L.V. Bunkley-Shelton play, for, you know, from this one. So uh, I'm going to say false right now uh, just because I know that it's not very common um, that for Jeff Levy to, to, you know, have an offense where you see two guys, you know, surpassing or at least getting close to the 1,000-yard mark as a receiver. Um, so I'm going to go false here, but if you could tell me, you know, four months from now that, you know, Oklahoma is going to have two receivers, you know, surpassing 650 and six touchdowns, then I would say that Oklahoma is in a very, very good uh, spot, um, with regards to the big 12 title race.
0: I'll agree with you. False on that one. Uh, looking back at last year, Braden Willis at the tight end position had 514 receiving yards. I don't think Austin Stogner is going to be able to match that. So Uh, i don't even think it would matter even if we put the tight end into the conversation here but i think Farouk's probably like an 850 Mm -hmm. to a thousand yard type of guy and then i think there's a lot of sorting process that's going to take place over those first four to five games Mm -hmm. before we solidify on here's our our top you know four guys and i think drake stoops is already you know number two there but i think he's just got kind of a ceiling and (sighs) You know, I think Lim- he's got a good limitation. Floor. limitation. Yeah, he's, he's got a good floor. He's got a good, but he's got a low ceiling at the same time too. So I, I don't see him getting 600 yards. So I think whoever it is, that I think someone will surge late in the year, and you'll be really excited about them going into next year. But I just think they won't have the early stats, you know, consistency build up to get over that 600 yard mark.
1: Sure, that's a good let's point.
0: Go, yeah, let's go to number three here. Uh, competitive depth—the phrase that has been coming up so much over the last week since Brent Venable's, Venables mentioned that. And we see that show up usually late in the games and then late in the season, an area that OU really didn't do well at last year. They couldn't finish off opponents, and they really faded as the season went on, uh, losing something like seven of their last, I don't know, 10 games or so. And so, you know, true or false then, this is the year championship November returns. OU goes undefeated in November. Mm. And to give you a reminder of what the schedule looks like, it's at OSU, it's West Virginia at home, at BYU, and TCU on Black Friday. True or false?
1: Oh god. I'm going to say false. If I'm thinking with if I'm, you know, if I've got my crimson colored glasses on, I'm saying true. If I'm picking with my heart, I'm saying true. But this team's going to have to show it to me and I still think that as as good as this team is going to be and I think that they you're going to see Oklahoma fans a huge improvement that this team is going to show from a year ago. I still am not confident that this team is going to be able to go through the entire month of November uh, without a blemish uh, on, on the uh, schedule. So I talked about it, you know, a month or two ago. I think that the uh, most difficult challenge on that schedule outside of the Texas game in Dallas is that trip out to Provo, the second to last week of the regular season. Um, then you close things out against TCU, who if you listen to, you know, Sonny a Big Talk Media Days, he's got all the confidence in the world and what he has returning up there in Fort Worth. So I'm going to say false.
0: Uh, but I don't feel good about it. I will go true. I I'm not super confident in that either, oh. but I mean, you look at, Hey, if OU really does have the competitive depth that Brent Menables is talking about, I, I don't think OSU has that. I know West Virginia doesn't have that. No. I don't even know who their coach is going to be by November. BYU. I think, you know, they're probably an example of, okay, this is going to be the toughest schedule that maybe they've played in, in decades. And this is going to be second to last game of the year. Like what are they going to have left in the tank at that point? Like what type of team are they competitive depth on their end? Yeah. Same thing with TCU. Like we look at what, you know, the TCU had last year, the, this, I don't want to call it flash in the pan yet, because we don't know what this season will hold for them, but they're changing over a ton across the entire team there. And we all like Chandler Morris from his time at OU, but he's completely unproven. Like, so, I, I kind of feel like TCU becomes more of like what we're used to from them seven, oh, eight man. wins. But at that point in the year, like, what are they going to look like? How, yeah. how, how excited are they going to be to play that final game of the year? Are they going to have a disappointing mm-hmm. year and think, ah, this is frustrating? Let's just get it over with and get to next year? Like, I, I have well, no idea. And, so. Adam,
1: you know, one, one thing that's kind of crazy to think about that I'll, I think a lot of people lose sight of is the fact that as great of a season of Matt, as Max Duggan had a year ago, he didn't even win the starting job coming out of fall camp. Chandler Morris was the starting quarterback a year ago when the season opened and Max Duggan didn't get on the field I- until, you know, Chandler Morris, you know, had that injury. Obviously when he came back, you know, Max Duggan was playing too well to, you know, hand the hand the keys back over to Chandler Morris, but yeah. Um, I think the Sunny Cumbie uh, you know, Hornfrog fans, they are continuing to ride the high that was that magical season a year ago making it to the National Championship game. It's just a matter of, you know, with Everything that they lost, Duggan, Quentin Johnson, you know, both running backs, they lost a handful of, you know, key difference makers on defense. You know, I know that they've recruited well. They've, you know, made a positive, you know, a big impact in the transfer portal with some of the guys that they brought in. But again, this is the very last game of the regular season. Is that competitive depth going to be there uh, for TCU once they roll into Norman uh, on November
0: 24th? And the same reason that a lot of people say, "Oh, OU was in all these one possession games. That lock what? is going to flip going into the next year." TCU, the same thing. A ton of one possession games. A lot of games that were really close towards the end of the fourth <sighs> quarter, and they just had, you know, the the playmaker and Max Duggan that could help push them over the edge there. So, Adam let, certainly...
1: me, Adam, let me, let me, let me t- just touch on this. Let me pick your brain here. We're, we're talking about competitive depth, and this was something that Brent Venables you know, th- this was pretty much the the word that was echoed, you know, all, all throughout Big 12 media days from BV. Do you put a lot of stock into that? Because, because to me, if you just watch the way that Brent spoke, and again, you put a microphone in his face, you know, tr- tremendous, um, you know, c- communicator. You know, I don't think that anybody can watch a Brent Venables interview and not say, I want to go play for that guy. But do you see it? Did you kind of get a sense of a difference in Brent Venables, the way he talked about uh, this team and his expectations and almost kind of a, you know, a new level of confidence that he's got in this group going into 2023. Which is interesting
0: because previous to last year, he had high expectations for that year sure. too. Didn't didn't pan out. Saw how the fan base reacted. And, you know, people weren't calling for his job, but they weren't happy either. Uh, he sees that, hey, you know, that there may be some reverberations on recruiting right now. It maybe could be going easier than it is. So there's not really an advantage for him to go out there and be as confident as he could be. He didn't have to be pessimistic, but he could at least say, hey, you know, we've got a lot of things we got to work on. We've got to go out and prove it, things like that. But he's saying a little bit more than that. I think there's there's definitely a lot of confidence, and he knows that um, that this team has a lot of that depth they didn't have because – And we've talked about the greatest Mm -hmm. example of that: Reggie Grimes, Ethan Downs, bless their hearts. Like (laughs) it's a southern (laughs) way of saying you suck. But like uh, Ethan Downs, I I think he's he's got something in the tank. I think he can play a role in this team. But behind those guys, they had nothing. If our Mason Thomas was hurt, like they had no no other option to go to there. Totally different this year. Like Mm -hmm. you don't again, you're not going to have all the elite defenders and playmakers that you want. But you've got stacks. You've got at least you know three deep on that defensive line now that you can say. Well, if option A is not working, we can throw in option B. And at least they're going to give the you know, same level yeah. and same thing with option C. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and that's going to play dividends with injuries, with getting to the fourth quarter and so on and so forth. So I think Britain knows that this team mm-hmm. is, is pretty different. So I like the conference. Yeah. What does that mean? 10 wins? 12 wins? <laughs> conference championship? I, I don't know. But we'll like, I think things are, are going to be considerably better.
1: Remains to be seen. All right, next question here, Adam. True or false? Gavin Sawchuck and Javante Barnes are the best one-two running back combination OU has had since Joe
0: Mixon and Samaje Pirine And in that year, both Samaje and Joe rushed for over a thousand yards. And so I think part of this question depends on how durable you think that duo is. We saw Barnes have a couple injuries last year. I think I'm going to go. F- false on this one they're they're both younger guys i mean their second year Solchuk really didn't play he's actually going to be a redshirt freshman because uh he didn't play i think there's an ice cream truck i was gonna say i think there's literally an yep. ice cream truck driving past my window. I thought I was going crazy there for a second. Um, stop we'll by Rad for Adams. Yeah, stop <laughs> by for Adams Daily Klondike Bar. Got to drop yeah. it off. There you go. <laughs> yeah. I think Sawchuck is a guy – everyone's super excited about him. I think he's durable, at least from what I know so far. Uh, Barnes is a guy that uh, – I'm just wondering how often he's going to be available. Yeah. So we'll see. But I, I kind of think – I think Trey Sermon and Rodney Anderson um, were a nice combo in 2017. So I think they're probably still better. Um, But obviously, a lot of potential here.
1: Yeah, uh, I'm going to go false as well. Do, Do they have the potential to be? Absolutely. But as for right now, to me, I think that they still rank behind Kennedy Brooks and Trey Sermon. From the 2000, I think it was what 2018 season. But the kid I, is literally <laughs> running
0: down the street right now. <laughs> oh,
1: this is but great podcasting. <laughs> but, but I think that I think again, I think it is very possible given this offensive line gels, and obviously Bill Beanebaugh, he feels very very good about the pieces that he's got in that room. And I think that this is going to be an opportunity, Adam. Where I think that again, given the makeup of this offensive line, given the status of the backup quarterback in Norman right now. I think that you're gonna see Jeff Levy get back to the offensive you know game plans that he had at Ole miss where it was predominantly you know 60 40 or 65-35 running the football grind these teams out kick their ass up front so uh, I think that it is highly possible that you see Salchuk and Barnes both go for over a thousand this year and you know ultimately you know, with all these true false questions it kind of feels like a broken record by saying this but you know if some of these you know um, you know statistical goals if they are met, then it's Oklahoma's going to find themselves in a really good position in taking home another Big Twelve championship
0: as they leave the conference. If this next one is true, then even more so. Dylan Gabriel, first team All Big Twelve, true or false? <laughs> false. Oh, okay. Who do you got?
1: Well, look at it this way: if you were if you were putting a bet on this and it was Dylan Gabriel or the field, would you still go Dylan Gabriel?
0: Man, the field is so limited. I, I know you've got uh, you know you got Quinn Ewers, who we all have selective memory about. We only want to remember the Alabama game. We don't want to remember any of the other games where he struggled yep. throughout the year. Yep, he's um, not the
1: guy I'm worried about.
0: Jaden Daniels out of Kansas. I know everyone's super hyped about him. He's not I the guy I'm worried about either. I kind of wonder with him, like if Kansas goes like six and six, are we still impressed with mm-hmm. him? Uh, yeah. I'm not sure about that. John Rice Plumley, a nice guy coming out of uh, UCF, probably the best out of the newcomers there. I don't think he'll be that good. So I kind of feel like the feel is so limited there, but who, who am I not thinking of? I think you're, you're leaving off Will Howard at Kansas Will state. Howard, Tyler Shuck out of Texas tech, maybe.
1: Yeah. But I, I think that Will Howard, I think that as this, you know, as the current layout right now, the way it's made up, I think the Will Howard has the best opportunity ultimately coming off of a uh, season where, you know, he was, you know, kind of, you know, thrown into the fire in the back half of the season. He ultimately leads Kansas state to a big 12 championship but you know, not only does he have another year of experience under his belt, he's coming into a season where he's got all five starting offensive linemen coming back. So that does nothing but give you uh, you know confidence as a quarterback. I know they're losing Deuce Vaughn up there in Manhattan, but from everything that we heard from Chris Kleiman and you know some of the 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 guys that they brought in from the transfer portal, some of the key guys that they brought in in the last couple of recruiting classes, I think Will Howard is poised to have a big year. Um, statistically speaking, this should be Quinn Ewers or Dylan Gabriel. Uh, but I think that Will Howard is uh, essentially going to be, you know, uh, the next Colin Klein that we've seen up there at K State, and we all know how good that kid was. But uh, yeah, I I just don't see it right now.
0: Um, I'm going to go false in this in this situation. Will Howard would need to lead K State to Arlington to make that happen, which is is not a given. Um, you know, teams are going to game plan for him now, and I just wonder like how good are his uh, statistics oh, me, going to be? Um, so. The-
1: I don't have this. Let me pull the schedule up right now for K State because I don't think that this is one it's that not we've super, really super
0: super tough, but it's not super easy either. Um, yeah, I, I don't think they we've... get Baylor at home. They're at Texas Tech. They're at Texas. They're at Oklahoma yeah. State. So there, there's some some potential there's gonna be opportunities. There. There's gonna be yeah, opportunities. Yeah, I mean the, everyone will be watching him. Like the hype is up on him right now. So mm-hmm. we shall certainly see. I'm gonna go true on this one. I think Dylan Gabriel is the going to put up the best stats uh, in the league. I think there's potential that Quinn Ewers is, is also really good, but I'll go with Dylan Gabriel for the moment. I think he's proven a lot more than Quinn Ewers at this point, and I think this team will be significantly better. So we'll get noticed a lot more. Cool. Uh, let's move on to our next one here. OU finishes top 25 in sacks, true or false? And to give some perspective here of like where OU needs to get here, last year they finished 64th with 28 total sacks. To be in the top 25 last year, they would have had 36 sacks. So only an additional eight sacks there. Do you think true or false OU is going to be able to do that? I'm going to say true, and
1: this is the one that I feel the most confident in and uh, for a couple of different reasons here. One, it's the guys that they brought in, both in the transfer portal and in the last recruiting class. You look at a guy like Rondell Bothroyd, you look at a guy like P.J. uh Trace Ford, who's a third-down specialist as well. The, the talent has really ramped up in that front seven. And I think that Brent Venables is going to have the opportunity. One, not just because of his confidence in his players, but I think that also the fact that the talent level has increased in such a way that it's going to give Brent the opportunity to open up the full playbook and call you know every single one of his blitz concepts uh, all season long. But then the, the next thing that you know really even makes me feel the most confident about this as well, they had twenty eight sacks a year ago in twelve games. Okay, but this upcoming schedule in two thousand twenty three, they are facing one two three programs that were part of the group of five a year ago. And then on top of that, they're also facing Arkansas State, SMU, and Tulsa. So you go based off of Arkansas State, SMU, Tulsa, Cincy, UCF, although Kansas is in there as well, and BYU, there's absolutely no excuse why this program shouldn't have at least – 30 sacks for this upcoming season. I think that the front seven is going to be that good. And I think that another thing that's going to give Oklahoma a greater opportunity to rack up those numbers is if this offense is, you know, running at a fast, efficient pace and they're putting up ports that points, that means that all these opponents are going to be playing from behind and it's going to put them into situations where they've got to throw the football to try to catch up, which is going to play into Oklahoma's hands even more so
0: you talk about the compounding is what you're kind of getting in there is if OU gets yeah. up 21 nothing and OU is able to get those first three Pin stops their in their ears game, back yeah yeah all of a sudden exactly. like it makes all the rest of the possessions the rest of the game that much easier so long as the offense doesn't you know have a bunch of one-minute drives like they did against OSU and Bedlam last year but yeah it makes your your defensive job that much easier the rest of the game uh rapid fire here on our last two bonus questions and we'll call it a wrap uh, kind of some fun ones here a little bit unusual Spencer Radler is the quarterback that comes into Norman in 2024 as a starting quarterback for the Gamecocks, true or false, this would be his COVID year, so his sixth year in college.
1: No, he's gone, false. (laughs) This will be Spencer Rattler's last year in college football. I would love for that to, you know, just because this sport is so storyline-driven, and you talk about the fan bases, and just what that game would be like playing it back in Owen Field, you know, in Norman, Oklahoma, having you know the return of Spencer Rattler, who really – you know, the last time that he played any meaningful snaps in an Oklahoma uniform in Norman was the game that, uh, you know, that what he got the chance for Caleb Williams from the student section was coming because, yeah, because Texas was the following week. So, yeah, um, I I don't think that it's going to happen. I think Spencer Ryler will declare for the NFL draft after this year, but I would love to see it.
0: Yeah, I I wish it was true, but I'm going to have to go false there as well. Last one to wrap up the uh, true or false. Assuming that David Stone and williams Winery commit to Oklahoma, we've already got P.J. Adeboware, a former five-star on campus. Maybe we get another surprise like Dominic McKinley. We've seen a trend in the Heisman voting of defenders making their names more known, finishing as high as second in the Heisman voting recently. I think it's kind of trendy almost to pick a defender for your Heisman ballot. Assuming those, those guys commit to Oklahoma, though, the next defensive Heisman finalist will be on campus in Norman. The next defensive Heisman finalist
1: will be in North. Yeah, whether
0: that's 2024, 2026, you know, what False. Are, one of those guys, basically. False. No. <laughs> no. Well, I mean, and think about this. You, you would have
1: to be on a – oh, God, I'm blanking on the kid's name. Who's who is just the edge rusher for Alabama? Will thirty one. Will Anderson. If you were telling me that David Stone or, you know, Williams-Wonary – was going to reach that type of level as a player by the time you know, their time is done uh, in Norman. You know, Ultimately, if they saw him sign the dotted line and commit to this program, yeah, I would say that it is a possibility, but the odds are so little. They're so small that that would ever come to fruition. But again, if you were telling me that OU has a Heisman finalist on the roster over the next four years, yeah, I'd say that's probably a pretty safe bet, but it's probably going to be Jackson Arnold or a Taylor Tatum.
0: Um, but you know, but just or, or purely Dems. defensive, like let's talk no, nationally. False. Whoever the next defensive national false. Heisman finals. okay, falls. Yeah, no. I, I think with Williams Vinieri, like that's the most interesting one. That's the position that can rack up a lot of sacks, and I mean he's already the number one player in the class. So yeah, uh, we'll, we'll probably talk more about him next week because there's an arduous road ahead for you well, to finish that with any five-star defensive lineman.
1: One last thing, Adam. You know we we've been talking about sack numbers and you know the potential that Oklahoma's front seven. Particularly, the starting defensive line is going to have the ability to to get to those twenty eight sack uh, twenty eight sack numbers that we saw from a year ago. To surpass that, if you are going to be forcing your opponents into these obvious passing downs, the second and longs, third and longs, things like that, with what Oklahoma has done, bringing in talent, transforming that roster over the last you know six, eight, ten months, just imagine a scenario where you've got a front defensive line on third down. That's going to include Rondell Bothroyd sliding inside next to Jonah Laulu. You're going to stand R. Mason Thompson and P.J. Adebare up on the edge, and then you're going to allow Desaun McCullough to kind of float in and out of there, disguising where he's going to come from. The the possibilities are exciting, and I think it's going to be a – we're getting close to the season now. I know that the Kool-Aid is getting stronger. I'm starting to drink it a little bit, but I'm starting to feel good as we dive into this Oklahoma roster a little bit more and try to forecast what it could be. I think Oklahoma's in a pretty good position this upcoming fall, especially on defense.
0: I need to get outside and chase down this ice cream truck before um, so it leaves <laughs> yes. the neighborhood. So, we're going to call it a wrap there. For Check on that kid while you're out there, too. Make I, sure he's I saw okay. him run back the other way. So, I think he went back home. I think he got what he needed. But <laughs> uh, we appreciate everyone listening. Uh, record numbers on the downloads. Like, yeah. we're, we're so appreciative of that. If people that are tuning in, listening, we, we love getting your interaction on Twitter. Um, you know, send us a DM or something if you have ideas for the show or. or We'll take constructive criticism as well. We'll take it all. We, we greatly appreciate that. So thanks everyone for listening. We will see everyone again next week for the next episode of the Mainline Podcast.